0: Welcome to Flashes of DEI, a podcast where we explore topics and ideas related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. My name is Stavros Atzis, go by he, him pronouns, and I am the Director of Equity Assessment and Impact.
1: And my name is Katie Matice. I use them and their pronouns, and I am a Director here in DEI. And today, we're talking about some of the top things that we've listened to, watched, read, right over the past year related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And to help us do that, which is really exciting, we've got the whole current DEI team gathered around our microphones. So I'm wondering, would everyone mind introducing yourself to our listeners?
2: Hi, Katie. Hi, Sal Rose. Uh-huh. How are you? Hello. My name is Amwaba. I'm so glad to be here. I use uh, she, her pronouns, and I serve as the uh, vice president for the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion.
3: Hi, all. My name is Bree Molitor. I am the project director here in DEI, and I use she, her pronouns, and I'm also so excited to be here with y'all.
4: And I'm most excited to be here with y'all. My name is Morgan Wooden. I use uh, he, him, his pronouns, and I'm the coordinator
0: of operations and special projects in DEI. Well, I'm definitely feeling the energy around here. So (laughs) thank you all for joining us today. Um, Always a treat when we can all get together. (laughs) To start us off, um, we have two questions for all of us to discuss. So the first one, um, what's one book, TV show, article, video, podcast, Uh, etc that has helped you learn more about something DEI related
3: all right so I will start um, and I was telling Morgan earlier I was like my bandwidth is at like TikTok level right now (laughs) so I was like let me pull some TikToks that I've been um seeing you know some quick educational things um but I did pull a creator I believe their name is pronounced Shaheem. I don't think they generally like introduce themselves at the beginning of their videos, but they are a non-binary um, licensed uh, psychologist mm-hmm. and um, a social worker. And they create really quick videos. They talk about a lot of different stuff. Um, it is their personal Uh, TikTok as well, but they do a lot of educational stuff about DEI related things, specifically about white supremacy and kind of breaking down a lot of systems that we use and things that um, people don't always immediately link to white supremacy and kind of point out how all of these different systems are linked together. And like when you're trying to take down certain things, you really have to look deeper Mm -hmm. Um, and they're also really funny. Like they're very engaging. They always are like calling people out for, you know, the tendency to like scroll when somebody starts talking to you for about 20 seconds, they're like, (laughs) don't. Don't do it <laughs> so, like and they everyone's like, oh, no, they got me. Um, so I really enjoyed their content. Um, they talk a lot, too, about children because they're a social worker and really kind of how you can support young people and really valuing their sense and in growing into a person. And sometimes that gets lost when you're thinking about kids and their agency. So um, their content has been really good. That sounds really good.
2: It does. Can you share that? Bree?
3: Yeah, I'll put the links in
1: somewhere. We'll add it for our listeners. We'll add all this stuff into our show notes. So mm-hmm. feel
3: free to check that out too. So Stavros, do you want to go ahead next?
0: Yeah, so I'm not really on TikTok. Um, so I'm going <laughs> to have an old school medium here. I'm going to share a book I read recently oh. um, within the past year. Um, and probably a little on the nose since it's on higher ed. So um <laughs> hate to be that person, be that boring. <laughs> but uh, it was a great book. It was from equity talk to equity walk. Oh, yeah part of the association of american colleges and universities um, from uh, tia brown mcnair ben simon uh, and others so the book focused on on ways to build an equity-minded campus culture and to move from a first generation equity educator to an equity-minded practitioner so um, the the chapter that you know really spoke to me was you know the third chapter using using and communicating data as a tool to advance equity. Mm -hmm. Um, So we all know how important it is to gather and analyze data to understand what's going on on campus with faculty, staff, and and students. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: Um, But what we really kind of uh, undersell is the process in which we reflect on and make sense of the data to inform actions. Um, so, you know, what perspective is being used to interpret equity gaps, um, and that really informs what questions will be asked and then what steps and strategies will come from, uh, ultimately come from those questions. So I thought it was a really good perspective to keep in mind. It's not just pulling data and looking at it, but it tells you it's really important who's doing the analysis and what perspective they're coming from.
1: mm mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that you, that <laughs> chapter was one that spoke to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just called out to me, Katie. I couldn't help it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love that book. Yeah. I, I think it's amazing. We read that as a team, but was that, that before you joined us, Stavros?
0: When I first started, I um, mm-hmm. saw it in the library and either a mob or an NJ uh, mentioned it to me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I picked it up and it was a, it was a really good read. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. If you ever, that was one of our book club picks in the a past couple ago. years. Yeah. yeah. So if you ever want to talk to any of us about it, although Morgan, I'm not sure. That now was, we're
4: getting that off was track. pre Morgan on the team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a great book, right?
2: Because it offers kind of, it's so accessible in terms of the language and just offers practical step on how to do the work in a meaningful way. so that there's impact.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Morgan, I have oh. a guess that you did not choose a book for your
4: pick. Plot twist. I actually <laughs> did. Oh, so uh, take that. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that is very surprising <laughs> that, yeah, I chose a book. So very on theme with actually the work that we've been doing. So I chose Dr. Bettina Love's book. Oh, yeah. Um We want to do more than survive Abolitionist Mm -hmm. teaching and the pursuit of educational freedom so i read it and flew through the book because it is a short read which is nice for someone like myself who is not a big reader um (laughs) so dr love does an amazing job too she comes from um a couple different perspectives of adding research history and her own personal stories of just explaining how our educational system is broken and inequitable and profits on the suffering of students of color. And she Mm -hmm. kind of offers some reform tactics um, specifically through an abolitionist lens. So kind of shaking the system up a little bit and finding ways that we can bring joy to our students of color. So I think what's kind of interesting about what, what stuck out For me, yes, some of these abolitionist perspectives that she offered, but I've talked with a lot of folks on the team about the piece that has been so valuable for me this last year was just finding your role in the work Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. everybody's going to be doing different things, whether you are the person who is out at the marches with your signs yelling and screaming, or if you are the person that's doing policy work or if you're doing the behind the scenes logistics. And I think that for someone like myself, um, coming from a trans identifying perspective, I don't always feel safest if I am out at the forefront and being that person that's out on the streets, out at the marches. And I sometimes Mm -hmm. had a little bit of imposter syndrome thinking that I wasn't doing the most Mm -hmm. that I possibly could. And I found a little bit of comfort reading Dr. Love's book that you don't have to do everything and the work that you're doing has value and has meaning just as long as you're doing the work, that it's going to have impact mm-hmm. in different ways. And so I think, you know, being here for about the year and a half that I've been now, um, we, we're at a big campus that does a lot of stuff and it's been overwhelming at times. And it's, it's tough to feel like you're not doing as much as you possibly could be. And I kind of have to come back into myself a little bit to know that some of those behind the scenes things, helping to keep our vice president organized, like so that she can do the best work too. Like those things compile together and have meaning and make a difference. And that's been really helpful in keeping me grounded the last year and adjusting to the state of everything as it currently exists mm-hmm. right now. That's a really good reminder
1: too. And like shows the beauty of community and team mm-hmm. and how you actually do need people doing different things in order
0: mm-hmm.
1: to, you know, continue making change or trying to make change.
0: Yeah. I think it it also speaks to like, we all have different skill sets. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a yeah. good way to share the work and, and kind of do what we're best at to contribute.
3: Yeah. hmm
1: I did not choose a book. I'm on more of the, you know, uh, pop culture train and I'm, I'm choosing a podcast uh, for my pick and the podcast I chose uh, is called maintenance phase. And this is a podcast. uh, It's hosted by two people, Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs. And what they do is they examine kind of wellness and nutrition and diet culture, and do a lot of research into what are people basing this stuff on which a lot of the times is not a whole lot of good research and while they're doing this they uh, examine a lot of the inequity that like is built into or comes out of diet culture wellness culture that sort of thing so like they did an episode on workplace wellness programs and how that's like kind of ableist actually in a lot of ways that mm. it's done and so they bring in all these elements of dei and focus a lot um on like fat phobia too and how fat phobic our society and our culture is and how they're a lot of these things are just trying to get people to be thin which is not necessarily the same thing as healthy mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i never really thought deeply about wellness and health like culture before um but it's really been opening my eyes uh to like starting to examine it through an equity lens um which is really cool and something i super appreciate sounds great yeah, yeah. and yeah. stuff and they're really funny uh yeah. they're really funny they're always like this is sad and heartbreaking but like
2: we're gonna make fun of it uh, a little bit <laughs> so yeah. i appreciate that
4: you have to find the joy where you can yeah exactly
2: like I'm thinking like all of this maybe could be our, what we focus on, like each of our areas that mm. we are a development mm. um, yeah. conversation. Cause I'd yeah. love to listen to that podcast and talk about it.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, that'd yeah. Be so
2: fun.
1: for listeners, we regularly pick a book usually, uh, to engage with as a team and talk about. And so we were just, we've just finished our most recent book, all boys aren't blue. Uh, and we were, you know, lightly talking about what we should do next. So this is actually a great kind of jumping off point for Mm -hmm. us to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Amwaba, last but not least,
2: what was your pick for this? So I couldn't decide between... Uh, Sherry Watts, The Theory of Being, which I know we have on our shelf, and Sarah Ahmed's The Phenomenology of Whiteness. Mm. Um, so, both, um, one, Sarah Ahmed's Phenomenology of Whiteness is an article, and The Theory of Being, Sherry Watts and other authors is actually a book. But I think they go well together. And for me, I remember I was traveling, coming back on the plane, had um, Dr. Ahmed's article with me, so read it on the plane. Mm. And And I'd read it before, but my second reading took me to a place I'd never been before. I was like, crap, right? So it's really not talking about whiteness as embodied whiteness but the way in which whiteness shows up in institutions history Mm -hmm. policy and structure Mm -hmm. and really thinking about um you know how we work so hard to diversify campuses or places but we're not changing the way in which that whiteness or systemic oppression is embedded in systems and practices Mm -hmm. but also the people right who then keep replicating the same process. And even when we invite difference into these spaces, we expect different bodies to then take on, right, the same systems and ways of being. And they actually aren't able to live their full lives um, Mm -hmm. in these institutions. But at the end, she talked about happy diversity, which, you know, you've heard me say that. This is where I got this idea. And she might not have called it happy diversity, but that's where I landed. This idea that it's really great to celebrate our accomplishments but we also run the risk of painting this kind of idealistic mm-hmm. happy that's made progress and that we don't attend to the pain right that's still existing in these spaces
1: right
2: so i that that has stayed with me it's it's a reminder in, in how i do my work and how i think about my work and the theory of being is really Um, for me really captured what we do in DEI this idea that it's actually the process that's so important Mm -hmm. Um, you know the end result is really great but how we get there is equally as important so being Mm -hmm. inclusive making sure Mm -hmm. that all voices represented at the table and making decisions that we're building relationship that we're caring about people Um, and so for me the theory of being I love the title first of all Um, Yes, it's like drinking a long tall glass of cold water which i love
1: (laughs) Ooh, i'm like maybe we should read those although you just
2: read them (laughs) i I would love to talk about both of them right yeah
4: our academic in the room
3: (laughs) well this time maybe it wouldn't take us you know six months to get through a book if we picked an article we could do in one meeting
2: exactly pages right yeah
1: There is, so, I mean, Stavros hinted at this uh, question already a little bit, but we've got another question for the group. And this question is, what's something that you've read, watched, or listened to that helps you in your DEI work? You know, a book, a song, a video show that gives you hope, motivates you, keeps you grounded, uh, helps you remember why you do what you do type of thing.
2: So Amwaba, we ended with you on the last one. You good to start us off on this one? Yeah, I, I, I really immediately went to music. Um, yes. Right? So like Bob Marley's uh, Redemption Song mm-hmm. and um, the war song, right? Uh, Buffalo mm-hmm. Soldier. Because mm-hmm. um, I think when we do this work, it's so important that we find joy. Mm -hmm. Even as we're learning or even as it's grounding us or elevating us. And for me, listening to music um, actually does that. And then recently I've been actually listening to, and Brie probably hears my music, right?
3: (laughs) I've also got my own thing going on. We kind of, if you stand in the hall, it gets weird.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's actually an Ethiopian nun who's a pianist um and she's on an alternative uh it's an alternative kind of app where they don't necessarily have mainstream music and i really find um just the sound either strings or piano really grounding mm-hmm. uh, centering for me, uh, and provides clarity. So I've actually been listening to her and part, partly because this idea of a 92 year old Ethiopian pianist who's also a nun, mm-hmm. making really great music so that kind of does something to the mind because it defies right what we think about when we think about piano. So um, that's what I'm offering. That's what um, brings me joy and keeps me grounded is music and music that has meaning both to our history, the work that we do, but also Brings joy and uplifts at the same time. Yeah. Do you have the name of that pianist? Okay. And it's on the app. I listen to it on the app Bandcamp. So her name is Emma Hoy Miriam Jabru.
4: Okay. Nice. So I can go next. So um I listen to a podcast semi regularly. It's one of those that like, I miss a bunch of episodes and then have to go back and get all caught up. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a podcast I listen to called Man Enough. It's hosted by Justin Baldoni, who's an actor, writer, producer. Mm -hmm. Um, So he does a lot of work. He's been on his own journey recently of just understanding and redefining what manhood and masculinity means to him. And he brings on these phenomenal guests from all walks of life to just really dive into what what is manhood and masculinity mean to you? Um, he started to bring in more gender diverse folks, too, which has been an interesting avenue to go because now we're not talking about what does it mean to be man enough we're talking about what does it mean to be just enough Mm -hmm. um and so the episode it's more specifically an episode that i come back to often that helps keep me grounded in the work that i do um is an episode that he had done with alok fadmanon Mm, mm -hmm. and alok is mm, phenomenal so So Mm -hmm. for those for those listeners who don't know who alok is um so they're non-binary uh and they're just everything a scholar (laughs) a writer a humanitarian advocate and so Some of the things that stand out to me from that podcast episode is that Alok talks about um, just having compassion over comprehension. When we talk about trans and gender nonconforming folks, that Mm. a lot of the resistance that is faced is just off of like well i don't understand that Mm -hmm. the language is getting too hard and i can't remember this and but you don't have to understand me to show compassion for me Mm -hmm. um alok just everything that they do is really centered in love and healing especially for the folks that resist them and their existence one of the co-hosts in the podcast was asking, like, well, what can I do to help? Such a simple question. Just what can I do to help mm-hmm. you and other gender nonconforming folks? And Alok starts talking about, like, do your own work and heal yourself, because the work for gender and nonconforming folks is not for the benefit of us. It's for the benefit of you, that if you mm-hmm. heal yourself and do your own work, you are creating an atmosphere where it's going to be easier for us to exist, and mm-hmm. so that we don't have to rely on resilience and bravery mm-hmm. to just be right. who we are. I could go on and on because <laughs> Alok does like they just they go in so many other avenues, but it's all it's all interconnected so beautifully. It's affirming to me to know that yes, there is calm, there is compassion, and people who are just existing and fighting the fight in a way that I would want to I love that compassion over understanding like I
2: love oh that. yes mm-hmm. yeah yeah right The thing I was
1: going to, or I am choosing for this is a cartoon. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) yes, I love me a good cartoon. So uh, on Disney uh, it's over now, but there was a show called Owl House, the Owl House, Mm -hmm. um, which is about a teen called Luce who lives in the human world, but like very much loves magic wants to practice magic and then finds herself in, in uh, an alternative world where that exists and is kind of possible and it uh i mean it's got action but it's also got humor and it's got a diverse cast so there's a, a multitude of different racial identities of different gender identities of different sexual orientations um it, there's just a lot of diversity in a cartoon and like explicit queerness and so i think about mm. myself and being younger and like what it would have been to have something like this exist uh on a disney show right And so the fact that it does exist, the fact that it is so good, the fact that it keeps compassion and kindness at its core, like that's a lesson that is constantly reaffirmed throughout the show. When you're dealing with adversity, when you're dealing with difficulty, look for that compassion over comprehension or look for compassion while trying to comprehend. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just so good. And it's only like three seasons. So you can just watch it pretty quickly if you wanted to or stretch it out a little um but it's so good
3: i've heard good things but i've never seen it so he says on disney disney yes disney got it
1: yeah so stavros what about you what, what brings you some joy or some grounding
0: i'll follow up your cartoon with a book that i read <laughs>
4: <laughs> classic
0: <laughs> pretends be the... to be shocked Yeah. right <laughs> and bear with me because the the book is kind of bleak but There's always that tension of like reading a a book on some uh, issue in in the country and then like it's awful and then there's some policy prescriptives and then you wonder like, well, what's the next step? What can we what happens after Mm. that? Are we just reading this and no actions being taken? So I was surprised to see that there was action taken afterwards, but the book itself is called Evicted. Poverty mm-hmm. and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. He's a professor of sociology at Princeton University. And uh, he did an ethnographic uh, study on eight families from the poorest areas of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And as we've come to know and expect, the families, um, you know, there are different pockets of racial and ethnic diversity within the city. So each race and ethnicity may have their own little neighborhood um, within mm-hmm. a, a bigger city. The, the common thread among these families is that they're all struggling to pay the rent during the financial crisis. And um, you know what the the majority story is like people suggesting that these are individual personal failures. But as the book walks out, the personal part makes up a very, very small portion of their circumstances. Like these are mm-hmm. systemic issues like layoffs, lack of reliable public transportation ineffective safety net programs, personal challenges that they may have, like episodic or chronic health issues that go unaddressed, have a, such a catastrophic impact on on people, especially when they're subsisting on minimum wages. Um, so showing that these rents are taking up north of like 60 to 70% of their pay. So how are you supposed to manage everything else when mm-hmm. rent and then you're not even in a decent place either? Mm-hmm. You don't have functioning like bathrooms or running Mm -hmm. water or clean water for that for that matter so it's a very bleak picture that isn't just unique to milwaukee but uh, across the country and and we've had our fair share in in cleveland um but the action part actually happened in cleveland um so there are some local nonprofits and agencies that collaborated with the Cuyahoga county library system to start a county-wide common reading program uh, called one community reads so there were a lot of book discussions, presentations, panel conversations at every library branch within Cuyahoga County that focused in this instance on housing and poverty. And then the series culminated in a free book talk by the author Matthew Desmond. Um, so all these events led to the legal aid of society um, having a partnership to create this housing justice alliance. And then as because of their efforts and, and some of their partners, as of July, 2020, the city of Cleveland became the fourth city in the U.S. to create a right to counsel um, mm. for certain eviction cases. Hmm. I was just happy to hear that part. You know, like, you know, we read all these studies. It was nice to have some thread uh, that connects the work, you know, people are uncovering and then taking the the follow-up action steps to actually improve some of these circumstances. No. So that gave me motivation and hope, like, you know, if you're doing research and doing uh, doing work. Um, tying it to action steps and, and seeing some improvements.
1: Yeah, cool mm-hmm. well, that it happened right in Cleveland too.
4: Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. The mm-hmm. like hope part. I mean, right. the other part happens around you too, like yeah. you mentioned, but mm-hmm. that's cool.
3: All right, so I will wrap us up. Um, I'm so glad that Morgan talked about Alok because I was like, I literally opened my TikTok app and I was like, let me make sure that I've like got all my stuff together to find Alok's page that I follow, and instead, mm-hmm. the first video that popped up was a video of a comedian that I grew up watching and loving and my whole family loved. Publicly, her name is Eddie Izzard but she recently came out as transgender, mm. um, but she has always been very open about being gender non-conforming. Um, and a lot of her previous standups that she did, which was like 2000s, um, she would wear makeup, she would wear dresses, she would be, it was always, and that was part of the thing that she talked about and shared about herself was um, being very comfortable wearing what we consider women's clothes as at that point, identifying as a man. Um, but I just saw this video where she was talking about, um, she was actually talking to Sandy from Great British Bake Off. Ah. And I guess Sandy is doing a travel show. I don't know anything about this until this morning. Um, But she was talking about how she actually um, wants to go by Susie and how people, the minute she told people that she was like, I'd really, you know, I want to go by this name. I knew I wanted to be Susie when I was 10, but I figured that was never possible. So I was just going to be Eddie and do what I could. And the minute she told people she wanted to be called Susie, they started calling her Susie. And it was Mm. just basically like once she spoke to the people who cared about her that were in her circle um, about how she wanted to be perceived, how she wanted to be referred to, Um, They switched immediately and it wasn't a big conversation. It was, it was just like, oh sure, of course. Cause it's again, that compassion Mm -hmm. um, aspect and that empathy and treating people the way that they would like to be treated. But it just like made me happy. And then especially she's rooted out of the UK. The UK has a lot of transphobic stuff going on similar to ours. So to see this conversation that was so easy and was just talking about, um, she talked about how quickly people were like, what pronouns do you want to use? She, her, great. Sounds good. Moving on. And she said she had described it where she was like, I'm not super picky about what pronouns I use, but I do have my preferences. So it just was like it's so like it makes such an impact when people just use the language that I would prefer them to use, but it made me happy. And I just like, I haven't revisited her comedi- her comedy in a long time, but I was like, I need to look her up and see what she's got going. But I was like, whoa, it's such a blast for the past this morning on my TikTok. But. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and how cool yeah. that it it was just this morning, literally like
3: an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh.
1: Well, this was awesome, Uh, and I feel like maybe we should do this as an annual thing where we uh, share our -hmm. our yearly picks, uh, because I learned about a lot of stuff that I want to look into after this.
0: Yeah, this is fun. Yeah. And thank you to everyone for tuning in and listening. If you're interested in learning more about us here in DEI, feel free to check out our website, kent.edu backslash diversity.
1: And if you've got a topic you'd like us to discuss, or if you've got things that you'd recommend we check out that either give you hope or helped you learn more, feel free to email us at diversity at kent.edu or connect with us on social media at DEI Kent State across platforms. And we will see you next month with a new episode. Bye. Bye. Bye, It
2: was fun.